by the way, we've called it new habits because uh, teams and the new services that are, that are available is, is all about evolving employee working habits. Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Habits Podcast. Um, we've got the usual suspects of Paul Schaefflein, Susie Dean, and myself, Wes Hackett. And this week, we're joined by Daniel Laskovitz uh, from the Netherlands, who's a uh, colleague and MVP. Uh, we've known each other quite a long time, Daniel, if I... Probably, oh, yeah. it must be eight, eight or nine years now. Um, yeah. so, so this week's episode, we're we're really sort of wanting to dive into exploring Power Platform and what it means for organisations. Um, thinking about how to approach um, the Power Platform, the different elements, so Power BI, Power Power Apps, Power Automate, and the bits in between. And we're going to sort of explore some of the topics. But obviously, new to the show, if you want to give the, the listeners a, a quick introduction of who you are, where you work, and, and what sort of thing you get up to day to day. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Daniel Laskowitz. I work for Society in the Netherlands, and I am the P Power Platform lead over there. I used to be a SharePoint developer, <laughs> so uh, I made a bit of a career change. But um, yeah, I have been doing a lot of stuff with uh, the Power Platform since it emerged. So um, whenever we had to change everything around from SharePoint workflows to uh, Microsoft Flow, now Power Automate. Um, since then, I have been doing a lot of stuff with uh, with those products as well. Cool. Okay, so I thought I thought we'd um, I thought we'd kick off today's session uh, thinking about how how do you, how do you t how do you, t you talk to customers about positioning Power Platform because as you mentioned, Joe, you know, as a former SharePoint developer, you've taken you've taken the personal decision to to specialize more in this Power Platform uh, low code is a, is a term that often gets banded around for that particular um, area of the platform. Um, Paul, Paul, in contrast, is still deep in the weeds of of, of code every day writing bot framework stuff so it's gonna you know we have a slightly different direction uh, in our internal specialisms <laughs> a little bit of sharepoint code too since you brought it up <laughs> yeah yeah we, we, nobody can escape the the clutches of sharepoint um so so how do you when, when you first talk to a customer that's um been entrenched in in custom code and sharepoint development uh in their environment whether that be on premises moving to the cloud or already just been in the cloud for a few years what sort of conversation starters how, you know how do you get them interested in looking at power platform well as, as a as a business business uh, capability yeah so one of the things that i always immediately say is that it's not a complete replacement so you can still have sharepoint custom code development uh, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but the low-code part, it actually helps uh, companies to build really, um, really fast. They can uh, they can build uh, apps right now, so it goes really fast with the development of that. It doesn't give you a 100% solution because um, something still need to be built or can be built within the Power Platform. There's a lot that can be built, of course. 
Um, but sometimes um, you even need a dev because uh, if you want to connect to a certain service or to a certain uh, other product, you really want to, um, uh, you want to uh, for instance, create a custom connector, uh, which is a little bit of a technical thing, but that gives you the possibility to hook into systems that your own company is using and that aren't um, maybe widespread around the world. Um, of course, you can use those as well, but then uh, it's probably already a connector that's in the power platform. Uh, and the custom connector can, for instance, help you um, using your own APIs within um, within the power platform, for instance. So it's not something that completely replaces it. Um, sometimes I also see that customers really like to use it as a tool that, um, uh, yeah, creates mockups or creates um, a simple um, simple kind of, um, yeah, like um, uh, a really, really fast creation of a, a app that could be a real app, but uh, just to, uh, to just uh, show what's, what's actually possible with the power platform. And they will just do a mockup or um, create some simple functionality. And then maybe they will create it as a custom app after that. Uh, that's also possible. Yeah. So, so can you give the sort of listeners a, a, a brief high-level explanation of, we talk about Power Platform, what, what are the parts of Power Platform? Yeah, so the Power Platform exists of uh, Power BI, which is the analytics part, of course, that we all know already. Uh, it's been around for, uh, for years already. Um, we have Power Apps, which is the, um, yeah, the app development part. So that's where you can create apps. Um, we have the Power Automate part, uh, and that's usually for workflows. So if you are from the SharePoint world and you have created uh, SharePoint workflows, then um, you can also create your uh, Power Automate workflows for SharePoint. Uh, those are kind of a replacement for that, but they also have something new and that's um, RPA. So robotic process automation, that's for instance, something where you can, um, automate some kind of process with an old school application that you um, that you still have running on uh, some kind of server. <laughs> you can still uh, use that to automate as well. And then um, the last part of the Power Platform is Power Virtual Agents. And that's the chatbot solution for, uh, for the Power Platform. And that's something where you can easily create chatbots. Cool. So those four products are in there and there's also some other parts, but um, uh, high over, it's just those four products. Yeah, cool. So uh, what, what, are, what are some common use cases that, that customers approach you to, to solve, you know, the, the actual business problems that, that Power Platform really hits the sweet spot for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what, what we see a lot is uh, the Office 365, Microsoft 365 extensibility. Um, so for instance, if they um, want to create an app that they want to embed inside of a SharePoint, uh, SharePoint page, or maybe they want to embed it in a Teams tab or something like that, uh, that's usually the uh, type of uh, use cases that they, uh, that they want. So you can imagine, for instance, if you have a product uh, or project, um, uh, project team, for instance, and you want to um, automate some kind of scenario, you want to create an app where people can fill in some details. Um, you can uh, you can actually create uh, create an app for that, and then you can connect easily to other sources. So that could be SharePoint, that could be Microsoft Teams, that could be 
um, SAP for that matter. Um, there's all kinds of connectors available. Um, not all of them are free. So you still uh, have to think about, of course, um, the Microsoft products. You can easily connect to those and uh, they will be included inside of your Office 365 licenses. But SAP uh, usually gives you a different uh, different thing for that. But those kinds of scenarios are, uh, are possible with Power Apps. Uh, on the other side, you also have the Dynamics 365 extensibility. So um, there's also lots of people that come from the Dynamics 365 side and they um, used to um, extend uh, their platform with Power Apps as well. And typically we see multiple types of apps um, in the Power, Power Platform. So with Power Apps, you have Canvas apps, which are actually the pixel perfect kind of apps. You can uh, really uh, control the whole canvas there. So every page that you have or every screen that you have, you can um, control it completely. And um, uh, from the dynamic side of things, uh, a lot of people use the model-driven uh, apps. And those are kind of the standard controls. You can do a lot about it, but um, it is uh, it looks a lot like Dynamics 365, of course. Uh, but that's uh, something that we also see as use cases. How have you found the business's ability to articulate um, the, the process or the um, a application requirements that they actually have. Um, I, I know that in developing uh, solutions with Power Platform, mm -hmm. uh, what we've been surprised by is just how unfamiliar a lot of organizations actually are with their internal processes and some of the disagreements that come up about that. Would you say that happens more or less frequently than with, say, sh traditional SharePoint application development? Wes, I know you've yeah, had so some of this as well. Yeah, so I, I see a lot of people that are starting with the Power Platform and they start creating an app and they have an idea that it's really easy to create something. And that also um, caught them uh, off guard, I think, because then when you are talking to them, then you get a lot of questions and then they are like, oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> so um, I think that if you talk about SharePoint um, development, um, people are more structured uh, around those kind of processes. And um, uh, a lot of people already know what, what's actually expected from them. And with the Power Platform, there's uh, uh, a lot more to do there. So um, what we typically, uh, typically do for, for Power Apps, for instance, is we do an app in a week. Um, and that's uh, kind of a, um, a way to, to, to start working on uh, a power app. At the beginning of the week, we start thinking about, um, yeah, what, what are we going to build for? Who are we going to build this? Um, uh, why are we building this? Uh, those kinds of questions we are uh, asking ourselves. Then we start, uh, uh, designing the app. So we think about, um, what kind of data model do you want? Uh, we already sketch the screens, for instance. So we do that on a whiteboard. And it's kind of interesting because of COVID nowadays that um, uh, that we already do that uh, with online meetings because uh, we use a whiteboard, for instance, in uh, Microsoft Teams. And that gives a complete different uh, approach, of course. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, we are gonna um, gonna make those uh, uh, those Power Apps as well. Um, we, of course, test them uh, and then we are uh, refining them at the end of the week. 
so that we can, for instance, do another app in a week to uh, make the app even uh, even better or maybe pick a different process. And that kind of um, that kind of work that we do with those uh, those steps that helps a lot of people to um, yeah to actually see what's um, what's needed from them in such a such a process. And that's of course for the smaller apps <laughs> for for a week, um, because you can imagine that uh, a bigger app would take a lot more time. So it sounds like you've adopted a weekly sprint model so that yeah. uh, the business can respond to what they're seeing um, and mm-hmm. not just uh, rely on on the, the whiteboards. Wes, what have you found? Because you've been doing a lot of this lately. Yeah, we've. I mean, we've we've found that it's required. Um, much more of a developer mindset in terms of project process. I think um, early on, uh, you know, a year or so ago when we were doing Power Platform, more specifically Power Automate, I think is is where this really um, takes takes a sort of turn for the worst if you don't think things through. A, customers rarely understand the process from A to B. And there's often lots of squiggles between A and B that they didn't know. You know, there's human beings involved that do their own entire process. You know, they send a file on an email and they don't realize the other person sends it to 10 other people to get five bits of data in an Excel sheet before it comes back six hours later. So so often I, th- I think the um, requirements gathering stage can be... Um, a big leap of faith for 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 a customer to to engage um, with a with a provider in this space because it it does they don't know a lot about the platform they don't know a lot about their own process and it's very difficult to 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 be you know cost certain so there's some there's some gaps there the the other thing that we 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 adopted very very quickly along the development process point of view is we use Azure DevOps to do all of the task estimation, all the breakdowns and and source control for um, Power Platform artifacts. Um, So one of the things we found was you would be building a flow and it would be working and it would, you know, you'd get it into a good place. And really the only lifecycle management point you have is an export which is a zip file containing some files. And, and, you know, to a SharePoint dev, that's quite a happy place because, you know, an SP cab file was just a glorified zip file that we used to, you know, pull apart if we needed to. So these exported things, they're actually the data that drives the UI in a flow. So you get all the JSON object, which stipulates how the, how the flow is put together. So we got into a habit of now that the consulting team will pull those exports and we'll check them in to DevOps as, as a code repository so that we have all the checkpoints you know as we get to a working step where that task in devops is complete export it out check it in as if paul or i would be writing code and we you know we we follow the same process and that was that was a like a real turning point for the stability of the delivery i think we found at adding 365 it was it was at that point that customers um were were losing less of the stuff they'd already done through the project because they were changing their mind halfway through. You could go, oh, okay, we'll go down this route. They decide that the process is different. We want to revert back to what we did at you know end of Monday. It's really hard if you haven't thought that through ahead of time. And I think that is the difference in my mind between this idea that Microsoft have of a citizen developer, somebody in the business that sits there, you know, solving a 
a specific department use case or something like that versus a provider, a vendor that is doing this as an engagement. Um, I think, you know, if you're a, one of the vendors uh, or, or, or SI partners out in the ecosystem listening, it's really important that you you consider thinking about this just like you write code, you know, source control, task breakdown, estimations, control of the points when you finish a task. Um because it's not baked in like it is in Visual Studio. It really isn't. And and that caught us out a few times a year or so ago, but now I think we're we're in pretty good stead. But both of both of your approaches there, uh, Daniel, your talk about, you know, time boxing the develop an app in a week, for example, which by definition is going to mean that it's not going to be done when the week's over, the week is over. Right. And Wes's point of view about, you know, keeping the artifact controlled in case I need to revert back. This seems very high risk to me with my longstanding, you know, <laughs> curly braces, sharp angle brackets, whatever stuff. So so do you find that as a, something you have to talk to customers about as you start the process or do you just keep it agile and adjust as you go along or what's your approach for mitigating that risk? Um, so what, what I see a lot is that, um, at customers, um, we typically look at what type of application it is. Um, so some applications that are really, um, not that business critical. <laughs> That's, uh, of course, a completely different, um, type of application and that you, um, also want to, um, be a little bit more loose about. But if you have a business critical application, we totally do it, uh, the way that Wes just described. So we put it in source control. We have all kinds of, uh, environments that we spin up through Azure DevOps, for instance. And there's all kinds of, uh, ways to actually keep it more, um, within the boundaries, like, um, if that makes sense. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the typical ways that we, uh, that we look at it. So, uh, sometimes we also promote it, um, so that, uh, there is an app for instance, that gets created by a citizen developer and we see that it has huge, huge potential. And then we want to make that, for instance, a business critical, uh, uh, critical app that has to be used by the whole company, for instance. Um, then, um, we kind of look at how we can, uh, how we can make that a little bit uh, of a bigger app and, uh, how we can, uh, can improve that. Um, and, um, yeah, level it up from the kind of uh, citizen developer default, uh, environment kind of, uh, kind of look and feel. Yeah. I think the um, sort of hidden gem behind some of the certainly power apps um, pieces really for me is the the common data service. So, um, you know, for anyone that's not familiar, that's that's a, a, I guess the best way to describe it is it's a virtual data layer that sits within that particular tenant. You can pass entities around. So effectively think of that like a database record that you can pass between different apps um, secure or independently, you know, so you can have employee group A and employee group B where B can't see all the fields or can't even see the entity, etc. I think it comes with a cost and, uh, and you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Project Oakdale um, in, in a little while, but it comes with a cost. But, but I think for organizations that have, have got um, data exchange scenarios that are quite localized data. So they're not, you know, we're not talking billions of rows and, you know, sort of um, mass mass platform um, ETL experiences. But where you've got a business department that wants to exchange and embellish data with another business department, I, you know, I see there's a lot of 
opportunity for businesses to look at CDS because the cost footprint is, you know, it, nothing is free and people sometimes forget that with power platform everybody's always moaning <laughs> we alluded to it about licensing right but why should you get something for free um you know you you're getting business value you're getting paid you know you're 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 paying some price point for that business value and i think that's you know microsoft are entitled they run the service it's a good service um but that CDS point, I mean, do you do you find customers take a while to get to the exploration of CDS or is it something you bring up quite early on? Uh, we usually bring it up really early on, uh, but then they are not ready to buy in on that. Um, so, for instance, uh, a pretty big bank in uh, the Netherlands, that's uh, one of our customers. And uh, about one and a half year ago, I uh, was there already to talk about Power Platform. And um, they were kind of afraid that they didn't know enough about what's happening on the Power Platform in their organization. So they looked at the analytics and they saw about 700 apps and they had no clue what kind of apps those were. Um, so they were really afraid that uh, that uh, that there was something wrong. So what we did, and that this was before the Center of Excellence uh, starter kit was uh, released by Microsoft. Um, so we had to build our own kind of Center of Excellence starter kit. And we built that uh, on uh, their environment. And then we could see that most of the applications actually were applications that were created but never finished so it was just somebody trying out power apps they created their first model driven app and they never published it or they never um, shared it with somebody else and um, then they were really okay with that they were like okay so we don't have a problem <laughs> but now they really wanted to um, to take the most out of it so they really wanted to um, create way more power apps and also for specific business scenarios. And then they were all about Office 365, Microsoft 365 extensibility. So they were looking at uh, adding apps to Teams, adding apps in SharePoint, but CDS was something that they weren't interested in at all. They were like, yeah, we, we are not gonna do that. We are not interested in that. Um, it's too steep of a curve, a learning curve to uh, to get everybody upskilled for that. Um, so they weren't interested at all. But we talked about that a little bit more and they were, yeah, they were really liking the idea of CDS, but they weren't ready for it yet. But now, uh, one and a half year later, <laughs> they are really ready for it and they are completely interested in it, not just because of Oakdale, but also because of the premium functionality that uh, CDS offers. Um, so yeah, they are totally, um, uh, okay with it now, but it, it took them really a long time to, uh, to be okay with it because they re were really afraid of the costs, um, because of, um, if they want to have a power app and they want to, uh, build it on CDS and share it with the whole org, uh, they are about 50,000 people. So that's going to cost a lot of money, of course. And, yeah. um, they weren't ready yet for that because um, they, yeah, the, the the platform still had to prove itself. That's kind of the um, kind of the big thing here, and I think that that uh, happens a lot with customers. So they kind of look at the platform, they see CDS, and they are interested in it, but they really immediately dismiss it because they don't want to have the licensing cost. But when it uh, proves the value, then they are. Totally okay with the, with the licensing costs, for instance. 
Yeah. Licensing is always a fun one. I mean, as a, as a product company, uh, you know, we find the questions of like, you know, our own licensing and plus the Microsoft 365 licensing, you know, everything is always, you know, there's an element of licensing conversation to use something. And I, and I think, the the hidden costs that organizations have, um, certainly with business processes, I think my experience is Power Platform is really starting to wake them up to this idea that lots of processes are very, very manual, very, very risk prone. And I think risk prone is is a is a real good hook when it comes to justifying the expenditure that sometimes these solutions require additional premium and CDS licensing and stuff like that. Because we had, a, you know, we were working with an organization that was looking at a, a business process and I, I, I jested about, you know, going through these six hour processes it was exactly that it was excel sheets being passed from one team to another getting embellished and they they've kind of they've kind of taken the middle ground step and it and it's i guess in my mind a, a, a safe on ramp to get them in the right direction better than an excel sheet but they're jumping into the sharepoint list infrastructure as the sort of middle hop um, and that was that was quite an interesting discussion with them because it, it it was kind of it was the familiarity of SharePoint lists that that took them there. They said, okay, if Excel isn't is a is an evil spirit in this in this party, how do we how do we get towards this CDS um, model idea? And the, you know, content types, site columns, list infrastructure seemed like a, a good bet. And we're not you know we're not in this particular process. We're only talking about tens of thousands of rows over the course of 12 months you know it's not it's not database size um do you do you find do you find customers are uh, you know some of your customers are, have, have have gone through that sort of leap and said okay well we've got sharepoint lists you know we never really knew what to do with them but now we've got these apps that we can connect in and we can sit them on top of those basic data structures yeah i i see that a lot because uh, for instance uh, the customer i just named um they we're building tons of apps on top of uh, SharePoint, on top of SharePoint list. Um, and it's really interesting to see what they actually built because some of the apps that they built were really, really pretty and they were really uh, working well. And also the people from Microsoft, the sellers, they, they, they were like, why, how are you doing this? And how are you creating this? Because we are supposed to sell the CDS uh, part, of course. But it almost looks <laughs> as if it, if there's no difference between those. Uh, they have to sell CDS, of course, because of premium licensing. But they can create beautiful apps also with SharePoint. And they work pretty good, actually. Um, if you have a lot of li uh, list items, for instance, then you would run into problems. But for the smaller um, line of business apps, it's, it's perfectly fine. And, uh, well, that's, that, that, yeah. that, that, that's interesting to me, right? Because we talk about data structures and content types and stuff, and that makes sense as technical types. But most power users, I would argue that that's an abstract concept to them. And when they can open up Excel and see rows and columns, or they open a SharePoint list and see, they can put that in a grid view, they're good to go. Where's that UI in CDS? I think that that's part of the, the, the holdup is there's no easy way for them to just start with CDS with some sample data and click at it. And talking to them about row limits and throttling and large lists. They don't care, right? Because when they start, they've got 10 rows and it works just fine. And yeah. well, that's a problem I'll deal with you know, in six months when we'll do another app in a week and six months from now. So I, I can see that being a constant battle. In my opinion, it's not a licensing 
initially, it's I, I can't get my head around it. Right. Is that similar? I, I see your head shaking, but folks can't hear. It seems yeah, like you've seen yeah, similar types sure. of uh, experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, uh, it's exactly what you say. Um, uh, if they go into quick edit and they can just put a lot of uh, rows in there, that's that that gets them started really fast. And I can see that um, CDS is also adopting stuff from SharePoint List now. So what you can see now is also that, uh, for instance, in CDS you also have a quick edit view. That's also something that came over from SharePoint, for instance, and that's yeah, something yeah. that um, now is uh, also inside of CDS. So I think that's kind of interesting that uh, that CDS is uh, adopting stuff from SharePoint now. Um, I, I, it'll be a Microsoft List spec by CDS before it gets too long, right? Because uh, <laughs> you know, if I click on the I click on the, the the app launcher, I don't see CDS anything, right? So no. you know, a user who's not as well versed in the in the technology is certainly never going to discover that. I don't think. Which which is interesting, isn't it? Because you you think about the the business employee going through the the thought pattern of what do I need to do, and and I think Power Automate has been a a, a real gem in the in the in the suite of apps in Power Platform for the simple reason it felt like if this then that it was like I have an action and I want an outcome. And I've got some steps in between, and they can they can f- physically model those steps on a on a flow chart in front of them. I think the the the, the hard part I think for a lot of um, the employees that that we help going through those flows is actually sometimes because you've got different product teams at Microsoft delivering different connectors and actions. So you, in Power Automate, you get those triggers and that's the sort of start of a flow. And then you get the actions, which are the steps within them. Because sometimes you want to use a SharePoint action next to a Teams action and you're in a reasonably good place because they're kind of at least part of the same org. But if you if you suddenly step out of the SharePoint Teams and OneDrive space and you need to go to something else in the Microsoft ecosystem, it can feel quite jarring because obviously, you know, sometimes you, you have to break out the, the search engine and, and, and find... Uh, examples of just simple translation of like there's a data object in JSON that that this service gave me. I need to translate to some, let's be honest, weird and wonderful format that SharePoint often needs. I mean, anyone that's dealt with a metadata column or a person field, they, you know, or a choice field, in fact, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's don't just send the choice. You have to put the little curly braces and the title and the value and all, you know, all the kind of good stuff that the history of SharePoint has created. So I think the, the, um, the improvements for, for me that I would you know I would be I would be sat hoping that they they look at is really this this citizen developer they get snagged too quickly on the idiosyncrasies of some of the older parts of the platform like SharePoint um, they you know they they need to be if we're going to build triggers and actions they need to be abstracted with some you know away from some of those weird and wonderful things like dealing with choice columns it should deal with those things. But on the flip side, I had a really interesting conversation with some of the product groups around Microsoft Graph and it's complete and utter lack of support in Power Automate. And I'm, you know, I'm of the opinion if, if SharePoint can have an HTTP call SharePoint connector, Microsoft Graph should. That's where my that's where my heart sits. It's it's my data, my platform, my licensing already. You're giving me Power Automate under that license. I should be able to call the same that I can call in SPFX. Yes. 
not everybody not everybody that you speak to agrees so, but but we've we've got this um we've got this danger i think of of, of like the two swim lanes where mm-hmm. because graph is being pushed as as the um, the backbone of everything, and I, you know, and I think it's a it's an amazing service that that gets provided by Graph. Um, if we have to wait for the trigger teams and the action teams to build those actions that can call the thing that I can actually call with a REST endpoint, as a developer, it's a real hard sell when you say to me, "Well, Wes, you can you can go to you can make an HTTPS call on a REST endpoint, and you get JSON, and you can do something with it, and I can get that running in thirty minutes." Or I can spend three days building some random set of workarounds to be able to do that in a in a custom connector or a premium connector. I think that you know, there's uh, in my mind, there's still some still some developer gaps to pull a lot more of the developer community into Power Automate. I mean, what, what's your what's your thoughts on that? I totally agree on that because um, uh, it's like you already read my mind because the graph uh, HTTP part, uh, I, I've, I've been complaining about that for a couple of years now, I believe, <laughs> because when uh, they released the SharePoint HTTP uh, um, action, and I was like, oh, why don't I have that for graph as well? Um, and I already asked the, the product team uh, out, yeah, about that. And they um, they said, well, we're going to do that in the future, but um, not sure when. And it's already two years later now. So I hope they still are going to deliver on that, but uh, uh, we'll see. But I think that's, that's something that... Um, a lot of people struggled with. So at, at first, when um, Power Automate still was Microsoft Flow, um, the HTTP connector was included in the basic license. So when you have Office 365 licensing, then you would have the HTTP connector and the HTTP connector you could use for, for instance, uh, the graph connectability. So if you wanted to, um, to get something from uh, the graph API, you could get that. And then after a couple of months, I believe, they um, they said, "Well, we're gonna um, we're gonna take the HTTP action back. So we're gonna make it a premium action." And they actually had a pretty good reason for that because, um, for instance, the um, the Salesforce, the ServiceNow connector, uh, those were premium, and a lot of people were using the HTTP connector to uh, call the APIs uh, from Salesforce and ServiceNow, etc. Um, so that was kind of a loophole for a lot of people, um, and that's why they uh, they took it back. But I'm still hoping that they will uh, include the graph uh, graph API in there and make it easier to um, get the newer actions. Because um, I totally agree with you. Um, if you look at the uh, graph API, and there's tons of great new actions, and the time between the release of the actions in the graph API and the moment that it's uh, an action or a trick in Power Automate, it takes way too long. So that's something that um, yeah, I always struggle with. And also the customers that I talk with, they really struggle with that because they yeah, they really want to use all those uh, all those great capabilities of the Graph API um, in their uh, workflows, of course, because the yeah, they are really, really, really nice to use. But is that a citizen developer issue or is that a develop a developer issue? Because I, I 
I, I know that Microsoft's perspective is if I go talk to Betty in accounting, Betty uses Excel or Betty uses tasks or Betty or planner or Betty doesn't use graph. Right. So so is this really uh, you know, something? I, I, yeah, I mean, we all know. Well, some, maybe not Susie, but the rest of us understand that under the covers, these things are, are working in that way. But I'm wondering, is that is that an issue that the developer community is struggling with or is it a, a broader issue that end users struggle with? I think it's both because. Um of course, the developers struggle with it. That goes without saying. Uh, but the citizen developers, I'm I'm really surprised by how easy they um, adopt developer things from uh, Power Automate, for instance. So I've seen tons of people that are not tech savvy or not um, really a tech kind of person. And um, they are adopting how to... Uh, use an HTTP action by just going to YouTube and look at uh, some kind of video by John Liu or something. And they will just, uh, they, they will look at the video, they will try to reenact it in their own workflow. And then they are like, yeah, why isn't this working? <laughs> or why is this working uh, uh, correctly? But they, I see a lot of citizen developers already uh, do that. And we've seen that in SharePoint as well, of course, because if you look at the SharePoint services library from uh, Mark Anderson, I've, I've seen tons of people that were, weren't really, well, good at Java, JavaScript, for instance. Um, they used uh, SP services for certain tasks. And um, yeah, that's kind of the first step that I saw in uh, the SharePoint landscape where people were just using code for, um, uh, for certain tasks. Yeah, so it, I think yeah. it's blending a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. What I what I see day in day out is is people that have come from an Excel macro programmatic enabled spreadsheet world, they do pick that stuff up. And Graph Explorer and the you know the the depth of the graph um, documentation and you know the fact that so many people have good code samples from the developer community out in the world. It makes that job quite easy, um, you know, for them to understand how they would do it. And then they get stuck with, oh, my company hasn't licensed that premium connector. How do I do it? Uh, and, and that's, and that's you know, that sometimes is a, is a real blocker and they get they get stuck and, and can't progress and then, you know, take other routes, whether that be, you know, some kind of C-sharp coded function thing that they've spun up a non-company Azure to run in, you know, because I've seen all kinds of, you know, oh, we've got a trial license of this Azure platform. We've written some functions because we got an example off, off of CodePlex and, and off we go. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, you know, that can be can be quite fun. The the thing that I, I, and again, this might just be a gap in my knowledge, but the thing I, again, I'd like to see them be able to do is one flow being called from another. The number of times that I want to modularize my business process, but I end up with this giant, massive, complex flow when really I just want like, you know, there's three inputs that all go to the same middle process that then spit out an answer and I, I can trigger them from five different places. Any any horizon for that being fixed or is that just something it's we're going to It's already there. Oh, is it already there? There you go. There. You have uh, parent-child flows and that's something that, uh, that could help you there. So... Um, I do that sometimes when I want to separate certain actions from uh, the, the parent flow, for instance. So yeah. I want to have a child flow where I'm, uh, for instance, uh, using a SQL connector and I'm uh, using that uh, and I have 
some kind of privileges in there. Um, and I only want to have it there. I don't want to have um, uh, the possibility that somebody gets too much of information. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the uh, one kind of, um, yeah, I think it's a proxy um, pattern that I'm uh, that I'm using there. But um, those kinds of uh, uh, yeah, possibilities are certain there. So uh, make sure to, uh, to check that out uh, sometime. I believe that they are only available when you are inside a solution. So that might be... Uh, Yes. Again, another another. Just explain for the listeners what, what the difference between the sort of I've just opened Flow and I get going, and, and versus the solution. Because because I guess this is this is why I haven't found them. Because normally it's like, hey, I want to go and create a flow. I get my little template. I run my flow, and it's over there in in kind of flow on your own mode. But these solutions, yeah, they're, they're kind of the wrappers, right? Yeah. So if you um, if you for instance create a flow from SharePoint. So within uh, within SharePoint, you have the uh, button automate, of course, and you can create uh, an, uh, a flow from there. So when you click create a flow, then uh, it will go to the to the Power Automate website and it will save the uh, flow automatically inside the um, uh, the default solution or uh, sorry the default uh, environment, and then it is available already in your My Flows part. So when you go to powerautomate.com and you are logged in, on the left side, you have the menu and there's also my flows and um, you will find your flow that you just created through uh, through SharePoint. You will find it in my flows. Um, there's also another menu item on the left side and that's called solutions. And there you can create some kind of um, categorization um, and that's uh, a kind of a bucket that you can have and you can uh, import uh, flows in there. You can import uh, power apps in there. You can put lots of stuff in there and then you can export it as a, a zip file, for instance, and then uh, you can uh, take it to a different environment, for instance. Uh, and also when you use uh, a flow inside of a solution, there's some functionality that's only uh, available when you create a flow inside of a solution or when you create a flow in the my flows bucket for instance ah so that's the bit that's the bit i've been missing so so i've i've used solutions to bundle up a deliverable set you know five or six flows for a particular customer but but what you're saying is if we if we went down that solution route one flow could therefore see the other flows in the same solution and you'd be able to parent child them that's really really handy to know mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and there's also some kind of um, yeah, kind of alert here because sometimes when you create a flow um, in the my flows bucket and you want to change it to a solution flow, um, some things aren't supported. So um, when you import uh, a flow from um, uh, from the my flows part into a solution, for instance, you can do that, but certain triggers, certain actions will prohibit you from doing that. So that's something that you should be aware of. Um, on the yeah, out of the top of my head, I don't know exactly which ones there are, but uh, it's all in the documentation. So you will find um, uh, when you are importing a flow inside of your solution, um, you have a message there. Some flows can be imported into a solution, and you can uh, go to the docs. So, what's uh, you know what's on the Christmas wish list from the Power Platform team? What would, you, what would you like to see them deliver in, uh, you know, Q1 of 2021? Um, I'm a big fan of State Machine uh, 
functionality inside of Flow. So that's, for instance, really interesting when you um, are working with approvals. So for instance, you'll have a process where you have a first approver, uh, that person can say approve, and then it goes to uh, another approver, and then that person can say approve or reject. Uh, if they say approve, it goes to it goes through maybe. Uh, if they say reject, you might wanna um, put it back into the first approver. And those kinds of things are pretty difficult inside of Power Automate right now. Um, and I really want to have that inside of Power Automate. Uh, and I've been asking for that for a very long time also. And um, uh, just like the Graph API uh, HTTP connector, I would love to have that as well uh, uh, for uh, for my Christmas, uh, Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, episode. It's been uh, really insightful. Hopefully, hopefully our listeners have uh, picked up some tips. I know I certainly have about the, the child parent flows. Um, well, so, thanks for inviting me. So, yeah, no, you're <laughs> most, most welcome. Thanks. That's uh, that's it. That's everything for this uh, this episode. We'll uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks um, with a new episode of uh, New Habits. The New Habits Podcast is produced by Add-in365. Please leave a review in iTunes along with a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening.